Welcome to the Coop Tank. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, coming to you from Sweet Recording in beautiful Mount Laurel, New Jersey. And to tell you more about this wonder stu- wonderful studio is the owner, the producer of my show, and my buddy, Joe Gangemi. Take it away, Joe. Hey, thanks, Coop. Hi, everyone. Yes, this is Joe Gangemi from Sweet Recording. At Sweet Recording, we help brands, businesses, and organizations to launch podcasts and YouTube channels of their own. From those podcast episodes, we can then help you to create all kinds of social media content like video clips and blog posts and and uh, newsletters and more. So it's a very efficient and effective approach to digital marketing. So if you're interested in learning more, you can contact me anytime at hello at sweetrecording.com or visit us on the web at sweetrecording.com. Again, that's S-U-I-T-E. Take it away, Coop. I tell you, man, Joe's getting comfortable. I think in like in a few weeks, I'm going to sit there and go walk in. The door's going to be locked and he'll be hosting the Joe Tank with my guests, <laughs> which my guests today are all guys I've, I've met. I've met these gentlemen all through networking and I've met them through over the last few years. Uh, in fact, one of them I have, he's wearing his t-shirt right now. I have one of his t-shirts, but uh, my first guest from Olympia Moving is Patrick Sapir. How you doing, Pat? I'm well, Steve. Thanks for having me today. You got it. And then from two to creative mr john lorenzo thanks for having me Coop. and from keller engineers of new jersey i know it says of new jersey we have mr sam modi how you doing sam good morning coop happy to be here yeah good so patrick tell us a little about what you do and about olympia moving awesome so yeah so i am uh the business development rep uh out of the olympia moving and storage uh, branch, uh, we have four branches, uh, one's in Boston, um, Massachusetts. I'm out of the Philadelphia, South Jersey branch. We have a branch in Austin, Texas, and one in Washington, D.C. So basically what I do and what we do is we talk to people um, through our network, uh, a lot of which is on today's screen. Um, and we help people that are typically frustrated. Uh, they might have moved before. And if you think of moving, some people think it's a very daunting task. And it is. And it's pretty involved. Uh, what we do is we put together a move plan that supports and uh, represents their budget uh, and what they're looking to accomplish. Um, and I give suggestions along the way. So it could be from packing up, you know, boxes, you know, it could be grandmom's china, something you know, sincere or dear to their heart. Uh, or it could be the big baby grand piano um, and everything in between. So whether it's local, uh, regional, national, like lower 48 uh, states or international, we can certainly support your efforts moving residentially. And we have another division called commercial moving as well. So that's a little bit about what I do, Coop. Okay, you know, it's funny, real quick about moving. When we moved from L.A., we hired a mover, and people were like, why don't you drive across country and pull yourself? I said, you know what? I'm over 50, okay? I, if, if I can't afford a mover, I've screwed up in life. I'm just saying. So it was so easy because they do everything. And uh, next we have a gentleman. As I said, I have one of his shirts. He gave me it, and I would have worn it today, John, but black with this screen, I look like my big bulbous head makes me look like Casper. And uh, we have from 22 Creative, we have John Lorenzo. Tell us more about what you do. Absolutely. Thanks, Coop. So 2-2 Creative is a full-service graphic design and printing company. So we do everything from branding companies with their logo, creating their website, and then doing all of the printed stuff from their apparel to their wall wraps, their fleet graphics, all of their marketing materials, promo products. We're a one-stop shop for all of their graphic needs. Okay. And then now, Sam, tell us about what you do. It's Sam's first appearance on a podcast. We said, yes, don't get is. nervous, Sam, because you're with you, these guys are great. They're pros, except Patrick. But uh, just tell us more <laughs> about uh, tell us tell us more about what you do. Yeah, thank you, Coop. Uh, yeah, Keller Engineers of New Jersey. Um, we were formed uh, about seven years ago. Uh, we're a team of uh, civil engineers, planners and construction inspectors. We offer full service uh, civil engineering. Uh, to clients that range from uh, transportation uh, folks, which would be your uh, agencies, New Jersey Department of Transportation, the Turnpike Authority, South Jersey Transportation Authority, um, Port Authority, New Jersey uh, Transit, et cetera. The other half of the business is the, the private side, which is our land development arm. And that could be homeowners, uh, industrial and commercial clients. And we provide... Um, 
uh, engineering uh, innovative uh, solutions, uh, trying to add value to our proposition, and uh, we're very responsive in our project delivery. All right, great. Now, you guys all said what you do. Okay, we know that. I want to know how you got to where you are today, how you came in the position. I'm gonna start with you, John, because you're the youngest of the crowd. So I know I'm, I'm gonna see what you say. How did you get to where yeah. you are of actually, you own a business, which is very admirable, because especially in this day and age, but how, what were your steps? What happened? How did you get to be the president of Tutu Creative? I failed. I was a Penn, I am a Penn State dropout. I thought I was gonna be an engineer. I uh, thought I was going to be an engineer my whole life. That's all my parents told me. They're like, you're going to be an engineer. And I went to Penn State for two years. And I engineered a lot of drinks and threw a lot of parties. But uh, in that time, I learned that I'm actually pretty good at business development and getting people to trust me. So through my own mistakes and failure, uh, I ended up taking over the job that was my first job in high school. And before 2-2 Creative, I owned a PostNet franchise. It's kind of like a FedEx office or a UPS store. Um, and that store uh, was failing when I took it over when I was 22. But in five years, we grew it to be a top 50 in the country. And then I just got tired of them telling me what I can and what I can't do. And uh, I went through a breakup, actually. And I went to Mexico. And I drank a whole bunch of tequila. I looked down to the ocean. And I said, let's do it again. So I went back. I told my team, hey, we're closing up shop. We're, we're going out on our own. And uh, here we are, too, too creative. Uh, five, six years later now, we've got a team of 10 amazing individuals. We served over 1,600 clients. And it's just through failures of life that has kind of opened up the doors to uh, where I am today. And it's it's so much fun, man. So much fun. That's awesome, man. How about you, Sam? How did you get to where you are? Yeah, so my story is a little bit different. Um, I had a goal in high school, actually, to be a business owner. Um, and through my high school career, even my collegiate and early days, uh, seemed to gravitate to some kind of business. I seemed to have a second job um, when I joined the State Department of Transportation, uh, my first employer, and I always had a second job to go to. And one of them was I was a contractor, and I did uh, work for um, uh, residential folks, uh, building driveways and sidewalk and curbs and basement floors all, you know, hands-on, uh, you know, sweat, sweat type projects. And I kind of had that entrepreneurial spirit, but as I, you know, moved up in the engineering community, I just stayed in the professional sector. I worked for somebody uh, for literally 35 years and, um, I've been traveling a lot. And that's one of the reasons why, um, I've had difficulty playing golf again, because, uh, I put on so many miles on my body. Uh, and the cars that I owned that I just got tired one day, uh, 2016, I left a very good job and decided to start my own business. I just did not want to travel to North Jersey, New York daily, um, to, um, you know, operate a business. And I opened up, uh, a shop in South Jersey. My first office was in Camden. Uh, we were there for six and a half years. And, uh, this May we moved to Haddonfield. And um, I'm enjoying it. I'm really enjoying being my own boss, hiring uh, professionals that have uh, similar goals and uh, aspirations I do. My staff is relatively young. And uh, quite frankly, uh, I'm looking for future owners. I'm looking for my staff to really take this company and continue the legacy that I started. That's awesome. And how about you, Patrick? How, how, how did you end up at Olympia moving? Because I know you're a Camden Catholic guy. I am a Catholic Catholic guy from Cherry Hill, but my my career actually started about 30 years ago. Um, and a silly story, but a true story was I was 14 years old and I wanted uh <laughs> I wanted a pair of jeans from the gap. They were about a, they were $120. Mm. And I asked my father, Dad, I want these jeans. He said, here's 10 bucks and get a job. Um Fortunately for me, um, I uh, had a wrestling coach that owned a moving company, and uh, I have two older brothers, uh, and they both worked for that same company. And two weeks later, I was with a family friend who ironically drove a tractor trailer, um, and um, I was in Pittsburgh loading a full tractor trailer with a lot of sweat equity, um, for sure. 
and I did some pretty crazy stuff. Uh, for the next few years, um, I traveled on the road in, you know, in the summer, I obviously went to high school, uh, but I was on the road for about three months in the summer uh, with this one gentleman. Um, and I made a lot of money. And my, my hourly wage was $6 per hour back in 1994, which is a long wow. time ago. Um, so I did that for a period of time until I got sick of it. I, I actually wound up getting a tractor. I got my class A tractor trailer trucker license, and I was running crews and running up and down the East coast, uh, moving, moving, uh, household residents. And, um, I finally got sick of it. My back was really hurting. It was tough to tie my shoes in the morning. And I my at that point, my oldest brother actually owned the company that I worked for. And I said, I want to be in sales. He said, no way, go get trained by somebody else. So I quit, went and sold security systems for about six months, had some beginner success. I was like salesman of the whatever of the uh of Guardian Protection Services for two months out of that six. And then he brought me back on and as a sales rep. And um, we did that until about 2000, from 2001 to about 2010. Unfortunately, we had to shut our doors at that point because of the marketplace. Left there, went to another moving company for about 10 years. And uh, I landed in this business development role at Olympia in 2020 of October. So I haven't looked back and uh, having a really good time. That's awesome. You know, you guys all have good stories. You see the like what you're doing, you know, and I, I love how people, you know, you always see the hashtag love my job, which always cracks me up. It's like, come on, we don't need to hear that shit, you know, but what do you love about your job? You, there's something you have to love that keeps you coming back. And we'll start with you, Sam. What do you love about what you're doing now? Well, the, the reason I went into business was I was seeing a trend in the private sector uh, that folks were not mentoring the young uh, engineers and technicians coming out of school. So what I really do love is sitting down with, with my staff um, and, and just helping them through uh, the learning curve. Uh, they don't know what they don't know yet. And just trying to share some of the knowledge and experience that I've had and, and the mentoring that I was given uh, young in my, you know, very young in my career and, and just help them along. They're going to make mistakes. I know that, you know, going in, but I do enjoy, you know, the interface with, with the staff and, you know, for a number of years, I was by myself uh, operating this business. And then uh, slowly we started building, um, you know, building our staff support, both in the field and in the office. Um, that's one thing. And then the second part of it is, uh, the varying levels of clientele that I've been able to attract. Uh, when I was in the national side, we only attracted a certain threshold, fee threshold of clients. Now, there is no fee threshold. I'll take on any type of work where I feel I could add value to their project. So the second half of what I enjoy is really just working with clients, and, and they can be very difficult. They've got all types of uh, a clientele, all kinds of demands, uh, all kinds of expectations, but I do enjoy uh, educating them on how we can get from point A to point B and and uh, delivering their project to, uh, you know, to success. Okay, how about, how about you, Patrick? What do you love about what you do? I'm go with two, two things. One is I am in business development. And I talk to a lot of different people. One of the things I really, it's near and dear to my heart is connecting other people. Um, I was with a, a, a big client of mine this past week. I did a, I, I brought lunch and we were talking, kind of did like a little lunch and learn. And um, I'm sitting there, I'm like, you guys are one of my biggest clients. It's a restoration company. And I was like, how can I help you guys? And we through some conversation, I was able to connect them with two people, potential uh, power partners. So I really, really love and enjoy actually helping my either clients or people that I just network with, just connect with the people that can actually put money in their pocket. The other thing that I love is um, I think one of I, somebody asked me one time, what's your superpower? And I think one of my superpowers are talking to a client who's in a great deal of like stress 
super anxious about maybe their move upcoming, all their things that they have to do. And I can kind of bring them off that ledge and really kind of calm them down and then present a plan that's going to work for them and their family. Okay. How about you, John? What do you, what do you love? What do you love about running two, two creative? What I love about our company is that it's so much more than just printing. Uh, when we get to work with a company, say, for example, a startup, we're bringing their vision to life. They have even as simple as the laundromat that we did you know, yesterday. Uh, this company said, hey, we're buying this laundromat. It's old. We're going to renovate it, bring a new face to it. And that laundromat is going to help so many people in the community. When we help a new business or help a business just grow and scale, we're able, I think of it as there's more jobs that we're creating. There's people in the community that they're able to help. It's much more than just a printed piece, but also I get a lot of joy from just seeing their face. When I, when the owner saw the window graphics and the new sign that we put up on their laundromat yesterday, they were like, wow, it's real. We're bringing their vision to life. People always say, John, you're young. Why aren't you in digital marketing? I like that tangible, that, that sensation that we give them where they just get so much joy from seeing it or touching their first business card, that stuff's cool to me. I really love what we do with all of the businesses that we work with. Okay, you know, I'm gonna ask the, the flip side of that because when I was a touring stand-up comedian, you know, I loved being on stage, but I hated driving to gigs. I hated to be driving through Ohio and Indiana for 10 nights, like four hours between a gig, but it was worth it once I got on stage. So you guys all said what you love. What do you not, not like about your job? We'll start with you, John. What do you not like about your job? What do I not like about my job? I mean, there has to be something. I mean, nothing, I mean, there has to be some little quirk. You know what? Before I got, I hopped on this podcast, sometimes a lot, the hardest part about my job is setting good expectations with a client. Right. So like the job that I was just talking to him about, it was for a wall mural for the school in Philadelphia. And she wanted all of these kids photos on this wall mural. You just sent me an email. She said, it looks great, but is it going to be pixelated? I was like, well, I don't know. Cause you only gave me like iPhone pictures. There's going to be a little bit of level of pixelation in there, but it should still look good. So the thing that is the hardest part, I think in every business is just managing expectations with your clients and with your staff, everybody, it's that managing of expectations. Whenever there is something that goes wrong or there's any kind of friction, it's usually because expectations weren't, weren't set properly. So that is probably the one thing that I don't like about my job, but I also see it as a challenge. And every time we, we do it, it's awesome. Okay. How about you, Patrick? This is going to sound a little cliche, um, but prior to COVID, you know, as a sales business development rep, you you would go in your car and drive to a client's house and you'd be able to do one, two, five appointments a day, whatever, depending on the, the locations or the Greek, uh, geographic location, right? So, but since, since COVID, there's been some stuff that we've done internally at Olympia where we can actually do a, a survey or you know, virtually a lot like what we're doing today on this podcast and we have AI software and it's pretty, it's pretty some rock solid stuff. So for me, if I have to be on the road for more than like an hour or two a day, it just, I'm just like, man, this day is going to be such a, such a bummer, but that's, that's, it's cliche in my role. Man. I'm a business development guy. <laughs> how about, how about you, Sam? What, what don't you like? Yeah, I think I can, um, see some parallels with uh, with John's experience. Uh, you know, managing expectations is a 24-7 job for us. Uh, we, we're, you know, taking a, um, a client's dream and bringing it to reality, whether it's an agency building a roadway uh, or, or, or a bridge or some type of structure or a landowner that uh, wants to build a site plan or subdivision uh, and needs to get you know, get us through the municipal uh, process. So the expectation management is is a, is a challenge, and sometimes we put a lot of time in that. Uh, try to over communicate to make sure that they understand uh, the process all the way through. And I think the other part of the uh, the business that is challenging at times is bill collecting. Um, you know, we we put together very um, 
comprehensive progress reports for our work. We, we recognize every dollar that uh, we spend of a client's, uh, of a you know, client's purse string, and we respect that. And uh, when we have to, you know, send out reminders and, and get them on the phone to talk about the invoice, it is at times problematic. Like I spend a lot of time with that. Um, ultimately, we get the collection, but we have to work work for it sometimes. Okay, so now since you guys all work with customers, clients, um, you know, there's always going to be a nightmare client. And that, that, you can say we've never had a crappy client. It's like anything. Someone's going to bitch. You, you know, you can go to a restaurant and hear someone just, you know, they're bitching because they're pasta that's called a spicy pasta is too spicy. You know, people just bitch at times. What's a problem customer you've had in the past and how how did you problem solve it? Because, you know, it comes back to you and you want to look good. But sometimes, you know, and I'm going to the customer always isn't right. I mean, whoever said that is wrong. The customer is not always right. Like if I ask John for a picture of me and it's Uncle Junior from The Sopranos, we can get away with it, but it's not right. Patrick, what's a, a problem? A problem you ran into and how did you solve it well so we've we have some from time to time when you're dealing with the public it's um it, it can sometimes be challenging because maybe i didn't do you know a good job with setting you know like both sam and john had said the expectation um on the front end and them kind of going off the handle. Um, how have I solved that? I mean, at the end of the day, it's, you know, I bring up all the things that we've talked about, you know, the scope of work. Um, a lot of times we're outside of that scope. So there's where the, some of those problems will, will arise. And I reiterate, like, how are the guys doing out there? And they're like, they're great. They're doing wonderful. They're, you know, working hard. And, um, you know, Oftentimes I'll give them like an A, a B and a C solution and kind of gauge where they, where they kind of want to, want to go. And um, yeah, I mean, it's more of a, like a negotiation of like, Hey, we're willing to go here because we honor your business and we, we, we value it. But, you know, at the end of the day, we did this service. So um, I typically I'm, I'm, I'm pretty of a, pretty a straight shooter as well. So. I don't know if that's answered your question. <laughs> it does. It does. I want to. I want to know, John, your answer because uh, you're you're a creative type, and, and creative types are very yeah. we're uh, we're very um, we're insecure and we're narcissists. You know, we 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 reach out and but we want when we create something, we think it's right, and it's hard. You know. For drafts, I wrote a screenplay in LA, and I work with producers, and they keep bringing me notes, and I'm like, no, oh, but I'm right, I'm right, I'm like, no, no, it's not. How do you deal with like? Because you probably get some people who don't agree with your vision. How do you deal with that? How do you get when someone complains? How do, and how do you troubleshoot it? Yeah, I'll, I'll give a, a perfect example of a client that uh, we did not win, but I think I won in another way. So last month we had this new law firm that reached out to us from North Jersey, just found us online, saw that we do good work, uh, reached out. They wanted a logo package and a website, uh, but they had a hard deadline if they wanted everything launched by January 1st. Well, that stuff takes time. It's at least a three month process for each phase. Uh, so it was gonna have to be a rush. We, gave, we go through our whole sales presentation, our whole sales process that we follow every single time. We get to the price and they're like, that's kind of a lot. And I was like, well, you, you need a lot. That's, that's our rate. Uh, and a week goes by and they come back to us and they say, we came up with this logo concept on Fiverr or somewhere online, you know, one of those cheap design places. Can you just make it better? And that didn't sit well with me. Because you basically just came to me and said, we don't value your work. Let me find a cheaper way to do it. So my staff, my design team, I have four full-time graphic designers. They said, well, that's not really right. That's not what we do here. And I said, you're right. Write them an email back and give them this analogy. If I came to you with a legal problem and you gave me a price to fix my legal problem, and I, in turn, said, that's a lot. Let me go on legal Zoom and get it to the 50-yard line. 
now take it from there. How would you feel? And they didn't like that analogy. And I was like, that is what you basically did to us. You said that you're not worth your full rate. And I know my guys are some of the best in the biz. So we didn't win that client, but I definitely won the respect, I think, of my creative team where I was willing to walk away from a 10K deal just to make sure that they understand that I value them. I see them. I see the work that they do, and we're not going to settle for less. All right. All right. How about you, Sam? Yeah, I, I have a, a pretty good example um, of a client that um, uh, we built a very strong trust. It was an Asian family client. Uh, they wanted to build an express self-storage facility in uh, Monroe Township, Williamstown. Um, took them through the process, showed them various self-storage facilities in the area just to get a feel on what their likes and dislikes were, whether it was color, whether it was uh, uh, the, the framework, um, the, the footprint of the site, uh, where the stormwater management was going to be uh, handled. And we're going through the project. We gave them a uh, you know comprehensive proposal, but we cautioned them that every board, uh, every municipal board is very different. So many times the... Um, the board professionals can really dictate how a project can go. And we happened to get into a situation where the board turned over and the folks that we made a relationship with uh, were a different, it was another engineering firm and they really put us through the grind. So our trusting relationship was starting to teether on, you guys don't know what you're doing. We go through the process. We got them all the approvals, NJDOT, Pinelands, uh, the fire marshal, the county, the municipal uh, codes, the MUA, et cetera. And there was some contentious discussions along the way. But at the end of the day, we delivered the final site plan application, got the approval. And while I was in Europe, I got a letter from uh, the client, delivered the whole package. And this is a testimonial letter that I was just taken aback. It was, it was unbelievable. I guess along the way, they, they respected what we did and we never complained about the challenges, but we just kept grinding away using our, our, our knowledge and our relationships to get us through the process. So I saw kind of ebbs and flows on that contract over about a year and a half time and I really thought that we had lost this client. And when I read the testimony, actually, I'm going to post it on social media today. Um, it was unbelievable. It was absolutely unbelievable what he wrote in that letter about myself and one of my staff members. And I want to expand it because there were so many other people that worked on it. So I, I kind of made a list of all the other people that were behind the scenes so that everybody gets recognized, not just myself and my main design engineer. That's, awesome. That's kind of a long-winded answer, but I saw kind of over a year and a half times where I lost sleep that I was losing this client. And being of Asian descent, I was really surprised at how he was treating me. Um, but it was just, we just had to kind of grind through it and, and not ignore it, but just keep doing our job. And hopefully in time, he would appreciate us and, and respect what we did. You know, it's funny, you mentioned relationships. And uh, in, in this day and age, I think relationships are very important in business. It's not, I think from COVID and everything, we've become much more personal. We've built relationships through Zoom where, you know, you get to talk to people. When you're forging a relationship, okay, when you're forging a relationship with someone, a professional relationship, what do you bring to the table? Sam, when you're forging a relationship and trying to build a relationship and someone wants to trust you to mm -hmm. refer you for business, what do you bring to the table? What's a few characteristics you can bring to the table? So the very first characteristic is to listen. Um, you're not there to speak. You're there to listen to this client, prospective client, and establish some level of rapport and trust. And what you need to do is put them in a situation where they feel comfortable and they talk. And you listen, take notes, um, and then once you've uh, taken all the information in, we're trained, our DNA as engineers is to process information and come up with solutions. And once I've kind of digested where this is going, I'll 
formulate an opinion or some thoughts. And then that creates exchange. Sometimes that works. Sometimes uh, the client is just, you know, kind of looking for different avenues. Maybe they had a bad experience. They want to see if we bring a different perspective to it, or maybe they're genuinely, they want to, you know, do business with us. So it really comes through the act of listening. I see too many clients uh, that just talk, talk, talk. And at the end of the day, when you walk away, you don't really know what they're, what they're looking for, because you just, you just kind of, you talk more than they did. And uh, we, I've done, uh, I've done role play in, in this over the, over the years. And some of the worst role play ex exercises where the, they, they don't let the client talk. The, the engineering firm does all the talking. So they don't understand what the client is actually looking for. What's, what's going to keep them up at night with their project. Okay. What do you bring practice? What do you bring to the table when you're forging a relationship? Yeah, a lot. I, I, I'm going to reiterate what Sam just spoke about, but, you know, I learned a technique called reversing. So when somebody asks you a question and like, if you're at a networking event, Hey, what do you do? I'm not really sure what I do is not that sexy. Could you help me understand what you do for a living and put it back on them and like that, ask a lot of questions. I use that 70, 30 rule where you're listening 70% of the time, yeah. talking 30% of the time. Um, and just really understanding like what's most important to them uh, and what makes them tick, uh, what puts money into their pocket. And then I start to think about my own network and what introductions I can maybe present and help them with um, and make sure that that, that connection goes all the way through and, and crosses the end zone. So how about you, John? What, what, what do you bring to the table when you're forging a relationship? Yeah, I mean, Sam and Pat, that was the foundation of relationship building right there. Um, I think the only thing that I can really expand on is just being consistent. You know, when I'm I'm here for the long game, I'm the youngest in the, on this panel right now, and uh, I know that I got a lot of years left in this game. Uh, so that puts a big challenge on my plate of just making sure I maintain that reputation for years and years to come. So just making sure uh, not to overpromise, uh, if anything, underpromise and overdeliver. Find ways to add value to that relationship where I can, but definitely um, not overpromise anything that I know that I can't back up or follow up on. And just the consistency over the years. You know, I want to make sure that I, I'm not just following up with you today and making empty promises today. We're going to run into each other for years and years to come here. So I want to just make sure that I bring that consistency and find my areas to uh, throw some punches when I can, but not just go drive and throw haymakers. That's just not how you do relationship building. You got to find and pick and choose when you want to throw those punches. Now, you, you know, you said you're the youngest on this, uh, this panel and everyone's of different ages. Well, my guests are all, you're all in different categories. I want to know for each of you in this point of your life, what is what do you consider success? You know, I mean, it may be different because, you know, as I said, John, you're younger. Sam, you're older than John. You've been in a business, you know, things like that. John, what do you consider success at this point in your life? At this point in my life, I, I look back at this year and um, I'm really proud of the team that we've developed. Uh, and I'm really proud of, I know that I've got the right foundation pieces in order for me to kind of get my time back, I don't have kids yet. We haven't crossed that that uh, that line yet. And I wanna make sure that when I have kids and I have that family, success to me is making sure that I can attend their games. If they've got a game or an activity at two o'clock, I'm there. That's what success looks like for me. It's not about money. Money, we all need money just to live. But for me, it's my time. So success for me right now is just making sure that I'm building a really strong foundation and a really strong team so that when I enter that next stage of my life, I can actually be successful in my own way of having time with my family. Okay, how about you, Patrick? What's, what's success to you right now? I'll tell you, success is really simple. Um, for me, I have three children, um, 22, daughter, 20 years old son and a 16 year old son. And my daughter just entered the workforce. 
my son, second son's a second year in, in college and, and my third is a junior in high school. When they're out in the, you know, the, wherever, wherever they are, and they come across somebody that I've done business with and they're like, your dad helped me out of a jam or he did this um, and kind of talking about, you know, the integrity of what I do and how I do it and who I do it to. I think that's that's a legacy that I, I want to keep going on for, for years to come. Okay, how about you, Sam? What, what's success to you? Because, you know, you've had, you, you've worked in the, with a fun company for a long time. You have your own business now. But for you, when you're looking at your, right now, what is success to you? So my success is uh, measured a couple of different ways. Um, number one, the reason I went into business was to leave a legacy of good engineering work uh, done by a small firm. Uh, my, my firm is 13 people. And uh, we have varying ages in our company, varying skill sets. And similar to what John said, I had never, I haven't had a off the grid vacation since 1996. I've been on vacation, but I typically work 20 to 40 hours on vacation and charge PTO. And I was trying to build a team that could offer me that, that balance that when I'm working, like I need a, I need a break every month. I grind it so hard. And at the end of the month, I need a little time to myself. And I've built a team now where I just came back from Europe, where I only got about 30 emails directed to me. Now I have the other half of the business, the construction business, which they were flying in and out. But from the design side, they were able to evaluate the, 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 content, answer if they could, or save it till I got back. And I was able to actually relax traveling through Europe because it's hard to navigate a phone. The second half of the success is my family. You know, we're getting to the point where my wife wants to retire at 65. Um, I don't really have any aspirations of retiring anytime soon. I'm having fun. I want to see this build a business grow. And, um, you know, have a have a benchmark in the industry of doing good work. But I want to make sure my wife is able to enjoy retirement life and I have to be there for her. And a lot of that is travel. The second half of it is my my family. My uh my daughter's 30. Um she just got engaged. Um and similar to what Patrick mentioned, she comes across folks that know me and it's very humbling to hear some of the stories that she shares with me that I've tried to, over my whole career. I've always tried to help people. And um, it's nice that people, you know, kind of recognize that. And it's helping her in her business as she's now more in a hospitality role. So she's dealing with people 24-7. She works for Barstool, which just got acquired by ESPN and uh, just got a promotion. And I'm so proud of her. Uh, and my stepson... Uh, just had, well, we just had our first grandchild. Uh, so our life has just been changing around and I want to be there for the grandchild. I was there for my daughter for all her sporting events and academic events, always had that work-life balance, uh, but I haven't really done it for myself. So I'm I'm trying to get this bits and pieces to my grandchild, my daughter, my stepson, my wife, and then of course the business. So that's that's how I measure success. If I can carve up enough time in a given day for all those pieces, I'm successful. It's great. You know, it's funny. You guys all pretty much have this, even though you're different ages, you pretty much have the same line, the family, the family thing, which is great. I don't have kids. So I, you know, I, I, I can't talk about that because I don't have kids, but uh, <laughs> I want to talk about networking though, because that's how I met you all networking and uh, networking networking has changed. I think, um, I come from a background of networking in Hollywood and stuff like that. It's a lot different. But then when I came back here, it's a lot the same. There's a lot of things I don't like about networking. I don't like clicks. I don't like people who try to be popular. Like they think networking is about popularity, which it isn't. I don't like terms, you know, some of the terms like, you know, referral partner. It's like, well, if they're, if you're not, if they're not giving you referrals, they're not really referral partners. So stop using that term. 
what is something you don't like about networking? Okay, there's something, and and you know, and be honest, because sometimes people are afraid, like, oh, what if someone sees this? And, and but we all probably have the same thing. But John, what is something you don't like about networking? Because you know, you've been you're very out, you've been out there a lot. You know, what's something you don't like about it? I don't like the ass kissing anymore. That's for sure. I'm, I'm way past that. And I, I think now I've uh, been in this game for over a decade now. So I think we've got a pretty good network. And now we're just really trying to just grow wider with people. Like I, I, I don't need more friends, for example. I don't need more friends. The, the older I get, the smaller I'm trying to close that circle in. So when it comes to networking, I'm not I'm not going out to networking events to go kiss ass and meet new people. I'm meeting new people because I'm growing wider with the current relationships that I have, and they're recommending and referring more good people. So uh, I'm just past all that. <laughs> See, that's <laughs> all I need. Br brutal honesty. See, I love it. You know, people can be honest. There's yeah. something bad. How about you, Patrick? What do you lot not like about networking? I'll tell you, I, I don't know if you've ever been in, in a, a circle where you're talking to somebody and they're constantly touching you. <laughs> like, it's like, this is my dance space and that's yours. Stay, stay in your lane. But um, yeah, you know, it's, and, you know, a lot of it is, you know, when you're talking to somebody and they don't come up for air and they're just talking about themselves and, you're you're like I, I need to talk to, like I have usually like a quota like if I go to an event like John I'm not there to hang out and socialize I'm there to socialize of course but you know mm -hmm. I have a goal in mind and um, you know I need to get in and out and if I get the three contacts or three people that I can maybe help um, in that event I'm I'm doing the Irish goodbye I'm I'm getting out of there. But uh, yeah, the personal space thing—that's uh, <laughs> a, a big no-no for me. <laughs> How about you, Sam? What, what what don't you like? So I did a lot more networking, um, I guess, after the pandemic uh, because we were all shut down. And folks like yourself, I would have never met if I didn't move out of my comfort zone a bit. What I don't like is being patronized. Um, you know, if we're having a discussion or. Uh, somebody says, look, let's follow up uh, with a call, a lunch, a breakfast, et cetera. And I follow up, I thank them for their time and don't hear that, anything from them. It happens all the time. And I've, I've also, like John, kind of built a, a nice network. I have a very few select friends. I'm a very private person and I don't really need more friends in my life. Um, so from a business standpoint, same thing. We're getting referrals from work that we've done, and I'm very happy with that. Uh, we must have done something right. The other half of it is the social media element, which I just find people need to, I don't know, call so much attention to themselves. I'm very weak on social media, so maybe I'm not the right example, but I, I follow it all day long uh, or after hours, and I, I was at that same event. And I was standing in the same circle and the way they portrayed the meeting or, or the group they were in was very different than the way the takeaway I, I had. So I just find social media just to be over-exaggerated and, and I don't know if it went away tomorrow, I wouldn't be, I just, I wouldn't be upset. I got to tell you something, Sam, this is your first podcast, but you're, but you're very good at this shit because you just, you just led me into the next question I was going to ask. And I was going to ask, and I bring this up every, every uh, episode. And, and I tell people, I don't hate LinkedIn. Someone said, what do you hate? I don't hate LinkedIn. Hell, if it wasn't for LinkedIn, John, I sent you a message on LinkedIn about the show. That's how I got in touch with you. I didn't have your email. So I think LinkedIn is very valuable. But like yeah. you said, Sam, there's a lot of bullshit on LinkedIn. Okay. And I always bring up something. The thing that's pissing me off this week, it's really pissing me off is, okay, I have comedian friends. When they're, when they put their shows up, they they'll put a clip up. That's what they do. They do comedy. Mm -hmm. Patrick, you put, you put up the gratitude thing. That's something good. That's something that people go, oh, this is good. I'm tired of people trying to look cutesy on LinkedIn. It's mm -hmm. social media. Don't fucking look cutesy. Like I saw someone trying to promote something. They're, they're like dancing and singing. This is a mm -hmm. business website. And so yes. that's what pisses me off this week. Patrick, what pisses you off about LinkedIn? 
Wow. What pisses me off about LinkedIn? There's got to be something you sit there and go, why? Like, I'm sure John and Sam have good answers because they already touched on it. But there's got to be something where you go, why are you doing that? I don't know if I have a really good answer for you, Coop. That's all right. I, you know? <laughs> no, I mean, look, I'm on I'm on social media a fair amount. Um, you know, I always, I probably should be promoting more um you know, more of my stuff, more of my events. Um, but I'm always trying to check myself and, Hey, I want to, you know, put out that good vibe. I, I want people like, I'm a big, like gratitude guy. Like today is gratitude Friday today. Cause I was going to reverse you and go, well, what are you grateful for today? Scoop, you know, but, um, <laughs> I don't really have, uh, I don't have a faux pas or something about LinkedIn to be quite honest. So that's a short and a long answer in there. That's fine. How about you, Sam? Because you, you had mentioned about, you know, the event thing, which is is so matter of fact. I know I hate when people sit there and go, this event was luxurious. What? I was at a VIP <laughs> opening the other day. I didn't even I posted a picture of me and my wife. I said, we're supporting small business. I wasn't like, mm -hmm. oh, this is such a wonderful event. Oh, blah, blah, blah. Shut up. What what do you what is something that bothers you about LinkedIn, Sam? So LinkedIn, I don't have as much of a problem with as I do the other platforms, but when when folks cross the line, as you mentioned, it's a business platform. When folks go on a vacation and do a plus 253, I have a real problem with that. I mean, I, I posted a few pictures only because people wanted me to share my, my experience in Europe, but it was all on Facebook and Instagram. It wasn't on LinkedIn. It's not business. It was pleasure. And it was plus one or plus two. So all you do is toggle down and you can see you know, snapshot or a synopsis of our trip. When people post their whole, you know, photo album, I just, I lose interest. But I do see a lot of exaggeration and misrepresentation of businesses on, on LinkedIn. Uh, and that's not really what the platform is for. There, There's a role for LinkedIn. And if you use it the way it was designed, it's actually a very powerful platform. I mean, years ago when my daughter graduated, with her master's degree, I posted her picture uh, with her cap and gown, and she got her first job through my posting. That's what it was supposed to be there for. And the the person that that found her knew me and said, "Have your daughter call me," and she got hired. You know, that's what it's for. But I think people have have misused the platform, and I think that's where uh, frustration has has uh, you know ensued amongst many of us that don't use it as much. Right. How about you, John? LinkedIn, I probably spend the least amount of time on LinkedIn, quite honestly. I don't like it because I feel like people do just use it for business. Uh, and they go on there, they post what they did, and they get off. It's just like a, it's just a place where they can go brag about some kind of an accomplishment or look what I did uh, for work. And then I'm off. Because uh, it's, it's more supposed to be a professional platform, right? But for me, I feel like business and personal they're so intertwined and i don't do business people with i don't that i don't like at all like i'm not going to do business with you if i don't like you and it's not just business it's like do i like you as a person then i feel like that's what social media was supposed to be more for uh, but now it's kind of just like this real or this imaginary world that everybody lives in and just post the highlights of their life meanwhile they went on this $10,000 vacation that they made like $2,000 that month and they just went to the whole fort. Like I don't like social media in a way that it just portrays this imaginary world and gives people unrealistic expectations. And now everybody is comparing what they do, but I don't like LinkedIn. To go back to your question about LinkedIn. Uh, I don't like it because people just go on there, post what they do, brag about something about their accomplishment. And then they get up the gate, they get off. It's, it's not really a place where any kind of social interaction actually happens. Okay. It's funny. I, I never brag about the how something costs. I always say how I got a good deal, how I cooked dinner for like two bucks. That makes me happy. I'm like, I don't want to brag about spending a lot of money for a dinner when I can make it. Uh, here's a question that I started out of, I don't even know how it came about. And it's interesting because I love the answers people give. And, uh, and once again, I'll preface this by saying, I don't read business books. I've read The Tip Tipping Point by Malcolm Gladwell. I like books about rock and roll, books about actors, things that really interest me a lot. But what's a book, a business book, that you have read 
it could be either in the last year or in the past that really made a difference. Like it, you really sat there and look at it as, you know, a, a blueprint or just something that, you know, some people say, oh, this book, you know, it gave me a way like the go-givers one, if you want to say that or whatever. But what's a book that you have read sometime in your career that has really helped you, a business book? We'll start with you, Patrick. Um, I'll go with the um, the Atomic Habits by James Clear. Um, and, you know, basically, in a nutshell, it talks about getting like 1% better uh, each day. And, you know, kind of like, there's a whole, there's a reference from Andy Fursell. He, he says, win the day, you know, and, and, and constantly trying to strive to be, to be better, to be a better self. Uh, but one, one of the takeaways from that book was, you know, changing your environment to put you in a position to succeed, you know, and like we were just talking social media, oftentimes I'll be working and I'll have my phone right here and I'll look down and 12 minutes, 20 minutes go by. And I'm like, what was I doing again? So I will, for periods of the day, take my phone. And I learned this from Atomic Habits and put it in another room where I'll focus on a task at hand. Maybe it's 22 minutes, 25 minutes, whatever. And I get, I am so much more productive doing stuff like that. So. Okay. How about you, John? What's a book you've read that's really helped you? Uh, this year, I've read a book called Built to Sell. And um, even though book. you may not be read the same book, Sam? Read the same book. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's a great book. It made me think about my business a completely different way. Uh, it was really, it hit me, it hit home for me because it was actually about a design firm. And uh, we've been struggling in a similar way where you kind of get uh, distracted by all the shiny objects by adding more services when in reality, you really need to just focus in. So having a diner menu is not good. Having a streamlined prefixed menu is probably better and you get more value out of that. Uh, there was just a lot of process in that book that I learned that I'm adopting to uh, my business now. Um, yeah. Okay. How about you, Sam? Yeah, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on the titles. I, I've read a number of uh, business-oriented books, uh, both leading into forming the company and then as I've uh, you know continued in the business world. The one that I seem to remember the most was the one by uh, Lee Iacocca, um, you know, Chairman, CEO of Chrysler, uh, how he built that corporation from really from a very small startup, which is kind of where I where I am. But he, you know, he talked about people. He talked about how he hired, what his expectations were of building the company, uh, a sustainable company over a long period of time. He talked about clients. He talked about uh, vendors on how he got materials, raw materials, both from the U.S. and abroad. Um, he talked about the philosophy within the, the culture that he wanted to build. And that's what I'm all about. It's all about the culture. As I hire people, if they don't fit the culture, I'm not going to bring them in, uh, whether it's a salary point or whether it's just their overall business philosophy. Um, so I've taken excerpts from his book. I think it was an autobiography, if I remember correctly. And then Warren Buffett was more on the financial side, how to be fiscally responsive, uh, responsible, uh, not to not only to yourself, to your staff, and to your clients. And I think he um, he he really um, outlined a, a, a simple um, uh, a simple methodical plan on how to go about those those elements. And then the, the book that uh, John uh, mentioned, Built to Sell, that was uh, that was an exercise from one of my um, uh, one of my professional groups that we agreed to read that book. I think I read it in January, if I remember correctly. Um, and that, that had a lot of you know good good points to just kind of reinforce what I'm what I'm doing here in the business. Okay. Well now here's the final question I always ask. And we'll probably have a lot of different answers just because, Sam, you have uh, children in the working world. Patrick, you have kids who are going in the work world. John, you don't have kids. But you mentor, I'm sure you mentor a lot of college kids. Someone comes up to you, they're getting their start, 
you know, they can just get out of high school. They want to go into the working world. They just get out of college. They can just get out of trade school. They want to get started in this path of business. Okay. They come to you and they say, what advice do you have for me? Like, what do you think, what, what can you tell me that I should, I should know to help me get, get my shit started? What do you tell them? Patrick, what do you tell someone when they say to you, you know, what should I, I'm, I'm coming out into the real world, as we'd say, what do I do? What, give me some advice. You know, I'll go basic, you know, and I, we've already touched on this a little bit today. And I would say, listen more, talk less. God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. Um, and to put your head down and work hard. Uh, but understand, like, there's an exercise that I do every year, uh, like a vision board. Uh, and it's kind of like looking ahead to see, like, what, what, what do you want to kind of manifest? So I would say, think about the things that you want to do and get to in your lifetime and keep them in front of you. So you see them, whether it's daily or weekly, but look at them a lot. Okay. How about you, John? Um, I would say find some, if you're starting your own business and you're meeting people, find somebody who is like two rungs up and see what they're doing really well and just try to duplicate that. If you're in the workforce and you're just entering the workforce, find that manager or person that's two rungs above you and start taking things off of their plate. You got to figure out how to make other people's jobs easier who are above you. That's how you're, they're going to notice like, oh, okay. John, like when I first started networking, I got involved in committees. Everybody saw me as like the 21-year-old kid, but they didn't realize that I owned my business. They thought I was just another sales guy or I was forced to come to these networking events. So I started getting involved in committees and I said, what needs to be done? And whatever the problem is, I figured out a solution. You need more people attending, I promoted the shit out of it. You need more sponsors, I reached out to them and I raised money. So find what people are struggling with and go do those. How find a solution. How about you, Sam? Yeah, twofold. Uh, uh, my response for business is um, the person has to have a passion. Whatever they're going into business with, if they have a passion, they're going to be successful. The The world is, is set up with plenty of uh, folks that can help them financially get off the ground. There's plenty of programs to get them into business. But if you don't have the passion, it's going to die in the vine. Um, obviously, you need a lot of sweat equity and, and work ethic to get that business going. But if you're entering the workforce, um, learn, listen, L listen to people that are, um, you know, have more experience than yourself and find a way to help them. As John mentioned, volunteer, do, do work in the community as well as in your professional, um, in your professional organization to kind of build your brand, build, build your, um, your uh, voice in that, in that particular profession. Again, passion is important on both flat platforms, but you want to learn, you want to learn the business and, and really uh, learn from people that have been through the, through the grind before you. Uh, that's great. That's all great answers. This is great today, guys. Uh, now, how can people get in touch with you? People, Patrick, how can people get in touch with you if they want to use you for moving well, you can go on to any kind of social media, whether it's Facebook, uh, you know, look up my name, Patrick Sapira. Uh, Instagram is P. Sapira uh, or, or LinkedIn, Patrick Sapira. So um, you can certainly call or, or, or text me. Um, we can, I don't know if we're putting anything in the, in the, in the notes below, but um, yeah. And I, I, I do gratitude Fridays. Um, I'm posting a video. Uh, after we hop off today so you can certainly look for uh, some gratitude videos flying through your uh, feed and uh, remember what you're grateful for how about how about you john how can people get in touch with tutu creative yeah find us on social media tutu creative spelled out just like on my shirt uh, but if you want to connect with me personally uh, my handle is at jp lorenzo 22 on facebook instagram and linkedin all right and sam yeah, Keller Engineers in New Jersey is uh, pretty um, pretty adept to all the um, uh, social media platforms, LinkedIn, Facebook, uh, Instagram, 
Um, also, my email is modi at keller-engineers.com uh, or by myself, uh, 609-310-0364. I'm pretty easy to get, get a hold of. That's awesome, guys. And I'll go, people, you can uh, you can get in touch with me at the coop tank at yahoo.com. If you want to be a sponsor, hit me up. You know, the people who are on my show are leaders and shakers and movers in the business world. The people who watch my show are too. So if you want to get your brand out there, you might want to think about advertising on my show. Also, uh, go to the coop tank on YouTube. Rate us, subscribe to us, give us likes. Even if you don't watch it, give us a likes, make a comment, say, it was great. Even though you don't watch it, I don't give a shit. Just do it. That's social <laughs> media. I'm being phony. Also, go to my website, coopertoff.net. That's my podcast with lots of celebrities and rock and roll stars. Uh, you can find 985 episodes there, www.coopertalk.net. And hit me up on LinkedIn at Steve Cooper. I want to thank Joe Ganjemi of Sweet Recording for producing this show check their website out sweet recording s-u-i-t-e recording.com and you all have a wonderful weekend and i'll talk to you soon happy thanksgiving